I declare that the Lord has given me the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him, and I'm being filled with the knowledge of his will, in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. As a result of this, I'm walking in a manner worthy of the Lord, I'm pleasing him in all respects, I'm bearing fruit in every good work, and I'm increasing in the knowledge of God. Now again, I incline my ears to his word. The word is entering my heart. It is giving me light and direction. It's healing me in every area. And it's making me more and more like the Lord Jesus. In the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. 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 All right, God, we speak to us again, I believe, this evening in the name of Jesus. Amen. We are bringing a word, not only for those who are present physically here, but those who are hearing us from different parts of the world especially to the church, of course, to the church of God, the church of Christ, and also to the leadership therein. And I believe that God will speak something specific to us today in the name of Jesus. Amen. All right, the Lord is good. All the time. Let's take our seats. All right, I want to open our Bibles. I want us to start today. Um, last time I began to speak about um, the prophetic word for this season and is addressed to the church of Christ as a whole. But I'm particularly concerned, concerned for the leaders therein so that they may pay attention to the words that God is speaking in this season. The word of God is abundant, it's plenty. Let me use that expression, it's plenty. The prophetic word, what it does is to narrow your attention to the most relevant thing that God is saying to you at a particular point in time. Now, if you're just doing normal teaching, there are so many things to learn, so many things to learn. But what the prophetic word does is to narrow you to that thing that God wants you to know at that point, is to focus your mind on the most relevant, you know, uh, the, the, okay, let me use the expression, the particular instruction that God wants you to obey at a particular point in time. There are so many things to do in this life when it comes to the word of God, but each season has a very crucial instruction that we must obey. And I believe that by the Spirit of God, that's what I'm bringing to the church of God in this season. Anytime you are seeing things happening around, it's always a sign. If you see war, it's a sign. If you see calamity, it's a sign. If you see prosperity, it's an instruction from above. What you need to do is learn how to discern the times and the seasons. You must understand what God is saying in each season, not just in your life now, but all around you. You must know, and as a church, then I said something last time, which I should repeat again. The church must understand that is its primary role on this earth. The primary role of the church is not many of the things we get ourselves involved in. Sometimes you sit down and, like I said, uh, it's not as if those things in themselves are bad, bad, bad. For example, if I'm teaching, I'm instructing people on how to eat and eat properly. I mean, eating properly is not a bad thing, is it? It is not, okay? But if you come one day, I instruct you today, Let's see how we are going to do our keto diet. Next time you come, I tell you about the uh, high-protein diet. Then one day I come, I tell you about how to use legumes and the uh, spinach and stuff like that to, use, to improve your vitamin level. Then you come another day. You know, after a while, you are going to call. Say, please, guy, what is going on? What is wrong with this guy? If I wanted a dietitian, I know when to find one. I hope you're getting my point here. So what I've said now, all those things, are they wrong? No. Probably I know a lot about diet. But you do not come to listen to me to teach you about diet. And that's how it is. The church, our primary assignment, we must bear it in mind. Our primary assignment is apostolic stroke prophetic as far as the world is concerned. It's apostolic and prophetic. 
It is not those good things that we do. What I say good now is not just diet. Sometimes we want to teach the world governance. We want to teach the world management, you know. Sometimes we pastors leave our primary assignments and start teaching management from one place to the other. I know, and, and we become very popular. Let me just say something to you. If you're a minister of the gospel, like I said, you're the primary person, persons I'm addressing this series to, you will become very popular. Once you start discussing things that are not your core assignment, you become better known and more popular around. Unbelievers will start calling you, you know, like we are discussing a few hours ago, unbelievers will start calling you my pastor. I hope you're getting my point. In fact, you know, we're talking about it earlier today, my wife, uh, Yinka, and I. And we're just saying that, listen, if I go to Okwara Square now, you understand, and I gather people, we start jogging in the Holy Spirit. Are you getting my point? We start jogging around, you know, jogging around, and we're breathing drums. And, of course, what we'll be doing is singing songs. Do you follow my praise songs? You understand? We have come again. We're jogging. We have come again. Father, we have come again. Holy Ghost, we have come again. You know, we'll be going around and say, oh, this is Christians jogging. She didn't jog with the jog. Unbelievers will join us. I come next time. We'll pray before we start jogging. Then we'll sing a song, songs of praise. I will go up around square. We'll go around like four or five times. After a while, you understand, we'll become very well known. That pastor is such a good pastor. He mobilizes his people to exercise. You know, physical exercise profit for them a lot. It takes the scripture and turn it upside down. Then, a lot of unbelievers that come jogging, you know what they start calling me? My pastor. Why? You are popular with them for teaching them, you know, jogging, bodily exercise. But because you are a pastor, you become what? My pastor to them. It does not mean they are obeying Jesus Christ. It just means you are a popular person with them. So the more you depart from preaching the core truth, the more popular you will become. So be careful that you don't define your ministry by popularity. Be very, very careful. What I'm going to say is this. Listen, I'm speaking most that is importantly to leaders, pastors, leaders in the body of Christ. Don't make a mistake mistake concerning what is the primary thing God has called us to do. It is not to help the country arrange itself politically. It is not to help, you know, the economy become better through our instructions, through our teaching. It is we are not social crusaders. We are not. We don't fight for human rights. That is not our primary assignment. I started, let me say it again. I am not saying the fight for human rights is bad. I did not say arrangement politically in itself is bad. It is possible that amongst us there will be human rights crusaders. It is possible that amongst us there will be people with the gift of governance who will be able to go out there and help the nation. It is possible that some of the best economists amongst us, uh, sorry, in the world will be one of our brethren. It is possible. Let me just quickly say this. God does not require that. Just that it's possible. God can use anybody to do anything. There is none good but God. The people that liberate, God will use to liberate his people oftentimes don't even know him. He said, I have called you by name even though you have not known me. God does that. You must understand. It's not, let, me, let me just say something to you. Don't be deceived. The only good Christians are good people. In this world, as far as humans go, anybody can be good. But there is no good but God. Sometimes God, will, I don't know how he does it, but he will make an unbeliever so good, so principled, and he will make him an effective head of state, effective minister, uh, what do you call it, uh, secular minister, no, minister of health, minister of education, and stuff like that. He will make the person effective. I don't know how he does it. Some of the people who have praised the most in this life, sometimes Christians get confused. They say, 
Mahatma Gandhi did not believe. But look at the work he did. That is true. The man said it clearly that he was not a Christian. He didn't hide it. So a lot of times he gave reasons why, he have been a, why he's not a Christian. He said, I would have been a Christian, but I, except that I met one. I don't like the way they behaved. He said, he said I like uh, uh, Christ, but I don't like the Christian. Whatever it is, he was never a Christian. Yet, we saw what God used him to do on the earth. I don't know about the face of Nelson Mandela, but we saw what God did through him and people like him. Please, I hope you're getting my point here. All right, God uses people. There are different ways he does it. When he wanted to rebuild Jerusalem, he, the, the king that sent the people, Cyrus, go, go and rebuild. What many of us do not know was that he was doing that for almost any religion as long as they will pray for him, his kingdom, and his sons. So he will let you go and rebuild your temple anywhere. But that was how God liberated his people according to the word of prophecy he released long before through Isaiah. So please, don't get it in your mind that if you elect a, a, a Christian into office, he will suddenly be, that will be the best government that country will see. It is possible, but God can also raise stones and make them... John told us that. Please, I hope you are getting my point here. So, let's not get carried away. Let's not get carried away. Many times Christians, like I was saying, each individual amongst us can be anything. But the primary assignment, which is what we have to be careful, because many times Christians get carried away into that. We think the primary assignment of the church, all right, is to do these physical things. You see people now start, you know, the one that makes me laugh, they start calling ministries, I'm broke, give me money. And I look, I say, you call a ministry to give you money because you are broke. Really, I don't think your head is balanced. Once I was, I was sitting in church, a young man came, they said a young man was looking for me. I went out to see him. He needed to see me. He traveled some distance. And I said, Ori, how can I help you? He said, he needs to talk to me about himself. Ah. And I remember it was a Sunday, and I was wondering, why would you drag me out of a church service to listen about yourself, to, to talk about yourself? But of course, I didn't know he allowed him to go on. He told me all his problems. Ah, after a while, I said, to, I said, listen, I'm inside a church service. Because he traveled, somebody just, look, somebody's looking for you outside. I'm not a pastor of the church, so it wasn't a big deal. So I said, please, summarize this whole talk. I need to know the summary of it. Where are you going with all of this? He said, he needs help. You need help? In what way? There needs accommodation. He needs connection for his business. I looked at him. I couldn't believe my ears. You traveled this distance on a Sunday morning to come and look for me because you need help financially. You know, you need accommodation. You need um, connection for business. And let me tell you, Christians, don't let the world deceive you. We pastors are very funny now. We, are, we know we are cotoing to the world. We are doing what the world wants. When we do our good work, we put television camera right there. I hope you know it's a sin. It, that's the word of the Lord Jesus Christ. You don't do your good works with television camera broadcasting you international nonsense for you to see. That is how to displease God. Because they, are keep, they keep on insulting us. How are you helping the poor? How are you helping the poor? Did they send you to ministry? Are they your judge? How are you helping the poor? They put you under pressure. I'm not saying don't help the poor. The job of the church is not to distribute food. 
You can distribute food. I like one thing a number of men of God have heard said. I heard, uh, let me not mention their names. I heard a number of men of God said. He said, why do you spend energy doing what everybody can do? Meanwhile, the primary thing you have given to do, nobody else can do apart from you. Nobody else will preach the word of truth. Nobody else will preach Jesus Christ. Why do you spend your energy on food that Oxfam can do, that UNICEF can do, that many people are doing on the earth? And you let them carry you away. You won't tell the world the truth, whether there are plagues, whether there are famines. You won't, of course, they will broadcast to you if you are sharing food. And false prophets use it in Nigeria now to impress everybody. When they want to show that they are good people, you now see man of God standing in front is the one sharing food. That's how you know fake people. Your church can share food. Why should you be the, the man of God? I hope you get my point. They now say, hey, a prophet is sharing food, is giving rise to the poor. The man of God is sharing food right now. I will be watching it on television. I say, is this not how you will know fake people? If you were a true Christian, a true man, or a true prophet, you should be in your home. Let the other people in church do it. Let your church be work out one by one. And just mingle with people and hand out. Why do you bring television cameras? And you now see a man carrying bag. You can't carry that bag normally. You are false. That's what your problem is. You are looking for validation from the world. That's what your problem is. That's what your problem is. People don't understand something. Listen. Everybody has a primary assignment. Everybody does. The primary assignment of the church is not these things. Even though, don't forget I said it, they are good. I'm not saying they are bad. I'm not saying they are bad. I'm just saying be careful that you don't forget your primary assignment and focus on other assignments. I told the young man that day, I couldn't believe my ears. I said, well, excuse me, you travel this distance to come and meet me? They don't have a local government chairman in your environment? There's no counsel on your ward? There's not even a church, you know, established church. I don't have a church. I do a teaching ministry. I said, where did you and I meet? I just wanted to get, in, I wanted him to get things right. I said, where did we meet? He said, listen to me on radio. I said, very good. I said, all the things you've heard me say on radio, in which one did I ever imply to anybody that if they needed assistance financially, if they needed assistance with accommodation, they should travel some distance to come and look for me. It was, maybe he didn't get my point. I said, I've been a blessing to you. You traveled. Where's the pineapple you brought? Where is the purple you brought? You came to me empty-handed. They don't have fruits where you come from. I can't remember what I told him that one exactly. You understand? Let's be, be, be as if I'm looking for something from his hand. I told him to get in perspective. I said, excuse me. How many thousands of people do you think listen to me like that? I said, have you ever heard of division of labor? You went to secondary school? He said, yes. I said, did you study division of labor? He said, yes. I said, so, do you think it is fair on you? I preach to you free. I don't charge you. The radio station charges me. You don't know how I raise the money. I pay the radio station. Then you want to bring your personal problems and bring it on me to solve. You're a wicked person. Many people in this world, they are wicked. They are very wicked. I preach to you free of charge. I don't charge you. I broadcast that word into your home free of charge. And in your wickedness, you need money. I'm the one you call. I think you are insensitive, you are cruel. Such a person should have come to me and said, Sir, I brought you pineapple because I'm not rich. I brought you an orange because I don't have more than this. Or I will have come to see you. The transport money from where I'm coming and going back is 800 naira. 
I will want to buy you credit 800 naira and send it to you because you've been a tremendous blessing. No, but you know what many of us think? Oh, these pastors, they have money. These pastors, they have money. Let me go and collect my portion of it. You know, God will have to punish you if you continue reasoning like that because you are an evil soul. A man met me once in the filling station. Somebody greeted me, hey, pastor, how are you? So I told ah, here's the pastor. What I will pay for his foil. I wanted to say, may your bike catch fire. When you use the word pastor, I won't pay for your foil. If you have said, oh boy, how now? I bet share with me now. Your car is bigger than mine. I think it's a legitimate thing. Then I will turn around and say, okay, I'm buying 5,000 naira foil. Give him 500 naira out of it. I'll pay you 4,005. But once you opened your mouth and said, pastor, you should know the order. You should know the order. You should know that ah, he's a pastor. Sir, you want to buy 5,000? That is 200 naira from mine. Add it to your own so you can do the work of the ministry. But you know, the church, they let the world teach them things. The primary thing you should be recognized for as a church is things that the world cannot give. Anyway, it's not anybody's fault. It's our fault. When our gospel will not end, will not end until we have raised money. So you see armed robbers will go and wait for the offering basket. That is why. All of us are guilty, actually. Why am I getting angry? <laughs> it's something we taught them. It's something we taught them. People will not write you, I'm a widow, I need money. I said, where did you hear me preach? That widows that need money should write me. I always say to them, there are no politicians in the environment. You don't know who to sing praises to. You know there's praises. The church has a primary assignment. It has. I'm not saying we don't give. Please don't get me wrong. I'm not saying we don't give. Like I said earlier, if that young man has seen me personally, and that's what I do. If you have seen me personally and say, please, ah, you're my brother on this street. Can you help me? It's a different matter. You travel a great distance because you hear me preach. I think you've gotten your priorities wrong. You've gotten your you know, understanding upside down. The church should never forget its primary assignment. That day I told the young man, please, if you have nothing else to tell me, can I go back to my service? Because there's no way you've heard me preach that said that when people need problems, they should travel and come and meet me. No, it is out of order. But if you, of course, if we're together in town, I needed, and listen, please, nobody should misunderstand me. If people need help around us, what do we do? We help. I'm just saying that stop looking at the man of God, the preacher, that when I need problems, the one I will go and call. I think you, if you need prayer, you should call me. If you need a prophetic word that I can bring it to you right now, call me. But material exchange is the other way. It is the other way. I prophesy to you, there is nothing wrong with it. You give me water to drink afterwards. You give me a cup of juice. Say, sir, eat this food. I prepared it. I knew a prophet was coming. That is the truth. That, what I have said, is what? The truth. Now let me see what I am trying to explain. The church has a primary assignment. It is to bring the word of God to the world. It is to prophetically warn the world of judgment to come. I realize that this is Christ. In fact, we had this argument a few days ago. Whether we should preach judgment or not preach judgment. I said, what did the Bible say? Forget how we think. Say, preach the God of, the God of love. I said, listen to me. Why do you lie? To people. 
As if God is only loving. He is not a just God. The Bible magnifies his judgment more than his love. Read your Bible. Go and, go and write it down. In fact, you know, once I sat down and I observed, in fact, let me be honest with you, between you and me, I got tired. Because I was listening to the Bible on, you know, audio Bible. I listened to Jeremiah. I listened to his lamentations. I listened to Ezekiel. I listened to Obadiah. I listened to Nahum. I listened to Joel. I listened to all these people, Zephaniah, Haggai. And I found out that 80% of the time or more, they are cursing people. Please, go and read your Bible. They are warning of judgment. When I say cursing, I'm not, I'm not saying they say they no go better for you. That's not what I mean. They will tell you, for the three sins of Edom or for four, I will not withhold his punishment. They will tell you, I am going to bring a bread of prey from the east and a man of purpose from my distant country and he will level this land and there will be no inhabitants left in it. Go, please go and read what I'm saying. No. Okay? Just read all those prophets. You will see all this um, Isaiah, Jeremiah, you know, Ezekiel, Micah, Jonah, the ones that are prophets. I jumped Daniel deliberately. I didn't make a mistake. Because under the Jewish canon of scriptures, Daniel was not included with the prophets. We Christians take him as a prophet because of the word of God he gave to us, which we believe it and understand. But if you listen to the canon of, if you watch the canon of scriptures of the Jews, they were in three groups. Jesus was, even the Bible talked about it. Jesus will show them things about himself from the law, that's one group, the Torah. Then the prophets, the law, the prophets, and the writings. Do you get my point? So they have two groups of prophets. Former prophets and latter prophets. The writings of Samuel is one of the latter, former prophets. But the writings, they called them. They included Esther, Ezra, Ezra and Nehemiah, one book for them. And one of those books was Daniel. And I read, I said, wait. Why would they not consider Daniel a prophet? No. There are two groups of prophets. The former prophets, Samuel and Co. Joshua is one of the former prophets. Then you now go to the latter prophets. The latter prophets are Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, all those people, Nahum, Jonah, Obadiah, all those people, Zephaniah, Zechariah, all the way down to Malachi. I'm talking about those prophets. If you read them, go and read them. Most of the times, they are warning people about divine judgment. They will one and one, then put a clause at the end to show you the light at the end of the tunnel. They will put something behind to give you a hope of salvation. But once I finished reading them, honestly, I was weary. I was tired. He will start for three sins of Moab, for three sins of Ammon, and for four. And he keep on reading. And it, when you see the judgment, and you know, your body will shake. And these people will keep on warning the people that God is about to bring judgment upon the land. And they will warn. And God does not really want to do it, but the sins they are committing means he has to do it if he's a just God. So they will warn. There's a way we can stop this from happening. It's repentance. A man like Jonah did not even ask anybody to repent. 
He just said, 40 days hence, and you guys are overtaken. He didn't go there with a message of hope. Oh, he didn't go. No, nothing. He just said, in 40 days, all of you will die for your sins. And they said amongst themselves, what do we do? The world today, we don't believe, the church, they wanted to say, we don't believe in warning the world. They say, magnify the love of God. I said, what is the love of God? The love of God is very easy to spell. It's called Jesus. Like I said last time, why do I need, you say, Jesus loves, I, just, I told my brethren a hypothetical situation. I said, imagine that I'm sitting there in my home. I don't know your Jesus. I don't know his mother, Mary. I don't know anybody. I don't know Angel Gabriel. I don't know anybody. I'm just in my home. Then you knock and say, hello, sir. Jesus loves you. I'll say, excuse me. My wife loves me. My children love me. I don't need extra love. Thank you. What is the sin in that? Must I need extra love? Not by force. That is the kind of gospel we preach. But if you come in and say, sir, the soul that sins, it shall die. So what do you mean by sin? Then you explain to me that I didn't create myself. And the person that created me is going to collect judgment one day. At least one man. He said, when you present the love of God without the judgment of God, he said, you make salvation optional. He said, when you present the love of God, without warning people about the judgment of God, he said, you make salvation optional. The fellow, which is exactly what I said days before I read it. Read that man say it. That, listen, the man said, okay, I don't want. Number four. But when you let him, no, no, no. There are two sides to this. You are the soul that sins, it shall die. Everyone is heading for eternal judgment. Must it be like that? No, it doesn't have to be like that. Now, that's what the love of God is. Do you know what surprised me? I didn't know how bad it was. Somebody said that, do you know that people don't even like talking about the, the, the judgment of God again? That they even said something at the point in time. Listen to this. One man wrote, he said, our feel-good culture of positive thinking doesn't like to talk about the negative things like death or judgment. Say, but the scripture does. An example of this is when, listen to what I want to say. How many of us know this song? In Christ Alone. Yeah, I think it should be my favorite song currently. In Christ Alone, my hope is found. One of the lines, he said, on that cross, the wrath of God was satisfied. You remember that one? Listen to this. An example of this good culture, good fuel culture is that when some wanted to change is when some wanted to change the lyrics of In Christ Alone for a PCUSA hymnal in 2013. Those compiling the hymnal wanted to change the line, the wrath of God was satisfied to the love of God was magnified. They said, no, no, we can't write the wrath of God. Though. So what do we write? They said, let's write the love of God. So instead of the wrath of God was satisfied, they turned it to the love of God was magnified. That is why coronavirus will go, a worse thing will come. And God will tell the church you are responsible. Because you never warned anybody that this is a first sign of my anger. We are busy sharing them food. Giving them, what do you call it? Palliatives. I know this building, what's this thing? What the, isolation centers. We are spending heavy money. To show the world, while displeasing the Lord, that we are responsive to the sufferings of people. We are so ignorant, we don't know our primary assignment in this situation. And we are ashamed of it. We are ashamed of Jesus before the world. We don't want to tell them, guys, let's tell ourselves the truth. This is not the devil. 
Guys, let's tell you the truth. The God of heaven, who you have insulted for so long, has been stirred up in his anger. And this is just a foretaste of what will come. We don't say it. We will spend more money buying food for people than we will spend to tell them in church on Sunday. We're all doing zoom, 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 zoom. We're all streaming live now. But who tells the world, the soul that sins, he shall die? No. They say, don't criticize. Don't condemn. Sinners are condemned already. That's how I was told those days. Somebody one, of, somebody, one of our brothers reminded me of that. That the people are living in condemnation. I said, why are you lying? They are not living in condemnation. You know, we had this impression that don't condemn people. You know why? They're already living in condemnation. So when you not condemn them, you know, you make the condemnation worse. I said, who lied to you? The Bible, Jesus said, they were eating and drinking. They were marrying and being given in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark. They were not living in condemnation. They said, let us eat and drink for tomorrow we die. They did not care. Why are you lying? That sinners are living in condemnation is not true. They are having a high heel time in their iniquity because you told them there are no consequences. Because you told them that they are doing Jesus a favor if they will come to church. Like one man said, when he said, God loves the sinner. I like what David Paulson said. He said, what are you reading in your Bible? He said, show it to me. He said, he said, this was how God loved the world. The Bible never said God loves the sinner. He never said so. What he said is, I do not want him to perish. He said, against the sinner, he's angry. He has indignation. Why don't you tell him the truth? That the way you are going, God will kill you. The way you are going, you will die and go to hell. We're having that argument. People say, you know, I said, listen, listen, listen. One brother said something, I laughed. I said, he said, people reject. It's only when they reject Jesus, they go to hell. I said, at least tell them. At least. say, okay, you don't want to preach condemnation, tell them that part. That when you reject Jesus, you will go to hell. You know, we want to be nice. We don't want to offend people. We want to go to them and sing songs. And like I said, we make it look as if Jesus is wooing them. Jesus is not wooing anybody. God the Father is not, is not looking for a wife. I hope you're getting my point. He's warning people. He said, repent while there is still time. He said, today is the day of salvation. Like we used to sing, tomorrow might be too late. And it is not a lie. Tomorrow often is too late. You know the truth? The church doesn't say this. Want to organize seminars on how to, how to wear masks and prevent COVID infection. That's what we want to do. We want to show people that our church is responsible for the sufferings of the people. And yesterday we released, um, praise God, 100 bags of rice was shared out as palliatives in times like this. God said, I will soon shut your mouth, man of God. I will soon shut your mouth. Let me say it again. It's a prophetic word. I will soon shut your mouth. I send you on an errand to tell people who are in sin that they will die in their sins. You give them rice. You don't tell them that. I give you a message. Tell people, the soul that sins, it shall die. You give them ororo. You don't tell them that. Because when he dies, I will ask you for his blood. I will. And I'm saying to you, the church in the world today, God is requiring the blood of the people of the world today from them. All of us want to be nice. We are ashamed of Jesus. 
before the world. We don't want to tell anybody that he kills people. And I've been saying it again and again. It is a lie that he does not kill. When someone, well, if I ever see anywhere in the New Testament, Jesus did anything, I say, hey, who blinded Paul? They said, no, Paul was not blinded with sickness. He was blinded with the glory of God. If you are blind, you are blind. What are, you, are you getting my point? How lie do we like to lie to ourselves? What's the name of that proconsul? That, um, is it a, who was that fellow that uh, Paul was preaching? You understand? And um, that man was turning the, the heart of that ruler away from the gospel. Ah, Paul got angry. He said he will not be able to see for a season. They say it's not sickness, it's a sign. I said, what story are you telling me? You take away my sight, you say it's not sickness. Is that how, how healthy people behave? They go around, they can't see their front. You say it's not sickness. For information, disease means dis-ease. Lack of ease. Whether it is judgment or sickness or, or love. I'm at, I'm, I've lost ease. Listen. As a church, we rejected the prophetic assignment. Because, go and read your Bible. Listen, let me quickly say this. Prophetic assignment is not prediction. No. A prophetic assignment is not prediction. It is not telling the world who will win European Premier League. Who will win uh, American, uh, what do you call it? Uh, this other, what do you call this? American election. It's a woman I saw. Do you, do you understand? That is the one we, that's what we call prophecy. People say it didn't come, come to pass. The man is false. I say it was never a prophecy, prophecy in the first place. Predicting who will win the election is not what we call prophecy. It's, it's not the prophetic office. Spirits that people mutter. Listen, people don't know they don't know anything. Hi. Let me explain spiritual principles to you. If tomorrow, Eimba and sorry, I don't know too many clubs. <laughs> Cano Pillars, thank you. They want to play in our Enugu Stadium here. Yeah. In the realm of the spirit, you must understand spiritual things work. The game is tomorrow. In the realm of the spirit, has finished by now. As of today, the game has finished. As of today, the game will have ended in the realm of the spirit. And though, whether you're a Christian, Muslim, or a pagan, it's not an issue. If you, know the, if you have the ability, which you can learn, to go into the realm of the spirit to peep, you will see who won the game. So when you come back down and tell them, like um, Kano Pillars, one in extra time by one goal. And people say, ah, and it happens. Eimba scores four goals in first half, two goals in second half, 6-0, 30 minutes to the end. Then Canopilla starts replying. You know, you will sit down calmly, like, don't worry. You know, when you have watched a match before, it doesn't put you under tension. You tell don't worry, they will equalize. By the time they said, you see them put up the sign, eight minutes extra time. And it's 6-4. You know there will be two goals in extra time. And of course, just like you saw, there are two goals in extra time. They said they are going to go into a penalty. And those guys will win 5-4 on penalty. And it happens like, say, hey, you are a prophet. You are not a prophet. You are a peeping spirit. <laughs> you just learned how to peep. That's all. You learned how to peep. It does not mean you are a prophet. There are a lot of peeping spirits all over the place. 
you know, for those of us who don't understand spiritual things, we are impressed. Why are we impressed? Because we are blind. When somebody has learned something and he applies that principle and peeps into the near future, the near future has ended as at today. Everything that will happen tomorrow has already been decided today. Not decided. They have been done. So many clowns have opened churches everywhere. Then they, they have their familiar spirits. The spirits that peep all over them. And they are peeping all around you. Into your future. Into your past. Into the secret things that you did. And you think the man is a prophet. That is not what a prophet is. A true Christian prophet. There are a lot of lying prophets around. I like to always talk about them. It's a trade. Those ones don't even peep. They don't see anything. They are just confused. Once you come, my business is not doing well. Say, ah, there are spirits that don't want you to succeed, which I find funny. Right now, how many spirits are in operation? COVID, lockdown. Most businesses are not doing well now. There are spirits that people don't want you to succeed. You are supposed to be a star in your father's house. But they are covering the star. They are covering the star. They are covering it. He said, yes, I have near success syndrome, which I always laugh when I hear it. Same time I want to get a job, something will just take it away. You're a sinner. Why not? But they start glorifying common problems. Same time I apply for a job, I'll be the best. They won't take me. I say, bros, wait. You are the best. Thank you. According to your assessment. But let's leave that for a moment. How many people apply for the job? 1,000. How many were they trying to employ? Three. I hope you know 997 will have near success syndrome. Think about it. 1,000 applied for a job. They plan to employ three people. 997 will have what? Near success syndrome. If that 997 applies for the next job and they want to employ five, after a while, 900 will say I've applied for eight jobs and I've not gotten it. Why? Anytime before it reaches my hand, somebody will snatch it. The lying prophet will now say, he's your auntie. Did you give her money last time I went to the village? I did. I ah, she took that 1,000 naira and went to the coven. I won't discuss that in details. It is a lie. What did I say? It is a lie. All these billionaires you read about, go and ask them how many projects they engaged in that failed. And did not cast out any anti. Those are false prophets. Please, let's not, don't worry my soul about them. I want to tell you what real prophets do. Read your Bible. Predicting the future is one of the smallest assignments of prophets. One of the smallest assignments. They don't predict. They give instructions most of the time. You go and see the kind of thing God will tell Elijah. Okay, go and read your Bible. How many predictions did you read from Elijah? How many? But go and see the warnings from his mouth. The man will come and say, hey, all of you are sinners, so I'm going to shut up the heaven. There will be no rain. It wasn't a prediction. It was a judgment. Then God will tell him, let me give you instructions. You anoint Jehu. You anoint Elisha in your stead. Let me tell you who a real prophet is. It's not the person that has seen what will happen to you tomorrow. A real prophet is the person that knows the mind of God concerning you today. Did you hear what I said? That is, he comes and says, listen, tomorrow there will be fire. Why? 
because you're a sinner today. You don't want fire, repent. That's a real prophet. It's not that once he says there is fire, they will. Let me tell you the truth. Go and read your Bible. Jonah, by our definition of prophet, was a false prophet. By our common definition. Because almost everything he predicted never happened. We have only one recorded for us. But if you know how to read in between the lines, you will see that the reason why Jonah refused to go to Nineveh was that he had the record of failed prophecies. And he was upset that God was about to add another one to it. Jonah was upset. God said, Jonah said, go to Nineveh. When I was young, I thought, in fact, I was taught like that. I was taught that Jonah, because the people of Nineveh were wicked. They were, now listen for your information, they were very wicked. Assyrians, they have world records in wickedness. So I was told that Jonah refused to go because if Assyrians catch him, they are going to impale him, which is what they used to do. So Jonah refused to go. Until I read in my Bible later, as I grew up, as I became an adult, began to study scriptures, especially as a preacher, I now found out that that was not what happened. What happened was that Jonah, he said, God, you are tired again. You will tell me to go and tell people what will happen to them, and then it will not happen. Then they will start laughing at me. Then you will not, I will get back home to Israel. They say, Jonah, I heard you told the people of Nineveh that 40 days, then they will be overthrown. Say that was 80 days ago, is it not? And Jonah will be looking like, what are you trying to tell me? I'm just trying to do my calendar right. Whether we are using the same Julian calendar or you are using another one. How many days are in your own day? How many hours? Jonah. By my own, it's 24 hours, and 80 days have passed. I think your own has 72 hours in one day. So by your own calendar, maybe it's still 30 days. And Jonah will get the point. Do you know why? Jonah said in 40 days, Nineveh will be overtaken. 80 days later, nothing will have happened. Let me tell you, it happened to Jonah again and again and again and again. So Jonah said, okay. So next time God said, come and go. He said, I'm not going. Now, you will go to Nineveh. Excuse me, sir. I am not going to Nineveh. You will get there and shout. You will cry against her. You know, he's looking at the Lord like, okay, speak on. When he got there, he said, please, any boat going to America here? Where the country is good. The man decided to flee. He said, God is, God is in Israel. I'm going to America. He was like, okay, enter the boat. He was on his way to Tashish to escape from one thing, the assignment that will bring him embarrassment. He said, Pastor Banker, how do you know this? He read your Bible. Jonah said, well, of course, you know the story of Jonah. God spared the place because they repented. And Jonah said, was this not what I said when I was still in my own country? He was angry. His pride came in. Once again, You've added to my records of false predictions. Yet, if you read Rick Joyner, Rick Joyner said of all the prophets of those days, he was the most anointed. Really, he was. The kind of results he got, Elijah, to get it, had to kill 450 prophets of Baal. Jonah killed nobody. 
He did his job reluctantly, without zeal. You know, Elijah will preach, if God is God, let us serve him. If Baal is God, we are called the prophets of Baal, Charlie. He had, you know, he loved God, he loved the people, he had zeal. Jonah was not like that. Three days journey to go around Nineveh. He did it, he did one and a half days and went back home. Read your Bible. Forty days hence, Nineveh will be overtaken. If you like, believe. <laughs> 40 days hence. JB said I should tell them. I've told them. And I went and said, let me see what will happen. The result that came out of Go and read with Jonah. Final quest. You see there. Said Jonah, heavily anointed. The unction upon him was so great. The most wicked nation on the earth that time shook when a reluctant prophet opened his mouth. And everybody from the king down to the smallest person repented. Yet, his prediction did not come to pass. If you are trying to judge prophets, he prophesied something and it came to pass. If that is what you are trying to use to judge prophets, just forget it. I know the scripture that is in your mind, but I don't want to discuss that now. You must understand God describes things differently when he's talking about the nation of Israel as a group of people. Alright? But I don't want to talk about that now. You read through your Bible again and again. Sometimes a vision will come. Daniel will say, I have seen the vision. It is clear. I understand it. Let us now pray so that it will not happen. When he saw what was supposed to happen to Nebuchadnezzar, he said, let us pray. Break away from doing this, from doing that. He said, paraventure God will lengthen the days of your prosperity. That is, the man said, we can modify things so that what you saw in the vision will not happen. But you see something, when Daniel was speaking to Nebuchadnezzar, he said, you need to break away from doing that which is evil. That's how you know true prophets. They speak the mind of God concerning your life today. What I'm trying to say is, they may give you a vision of tomorrow, but what concerns them is calm your soul today. I hope you're getting my point. They may tell you a vision of tomorrow, but what they are saying is, repent of your sins today. Their primary assignment, now listen to this, the primary assignment of a prophet is to draw you from wherever you are into the will of God for your life. That's, that's why a lot of prophets in the Bible did not predict tomorrow. Many of them did. A lot did not. They will just rise and cry against iniquity and they will be called prophets. Some of them predicted and it came to pass. Some of them saw visions of tomorrow until now, it has not yet come to pass, and it will come to pass. Some of the things that Daniel saw hasn't happened till now. Many of the things that Isaiah said, and listen, people like Isaiah sometimes, what they even say, they are not, they are not precise descriptions of events. I hope you get what I'm trying to say. That is, you will find it hard to even see. It's only when it will have finished happening. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter. He opened not his mouth. It's not a prediction. But when Jesus went to the cross, the people now said that it might be fulfilled that which was spoken by Isaiah. He wasn't describing who win the match tomorrow. Prophets may do that. But that is not what makes somebody a prophet. What makes you a prophet is that you say to the world, as an example, repent. This is a breeze introducing the day of the Lord. If the day of the Lord arrives in his full power, where you said a disease is killing 0.5% of the population, 
You shall contend with one spreading as fast, but killing 30% of the population. And I hope you know, it is not new. This has happened before. Smallpox did that. Plague did that. Why don't we get up and tell the world, do you want another plague or smallpox? And that God says everywhere they have wiped out my name from their memories. Where they have wiped out my name from their law books. Where they have said you will not swear by God anymore. Where they have said that nobody should fear him. Nobody should do anything that connotes the fear of a creator somewhere. Therefore, we do our sexual life the way we like. We kill our unborn babies the way we like. We do judgment or justice according to our own standards. He said, I shall arise as the judge of the heavens and the earth. I shall arise and pour my wrath upon the people. And what, no matter what you say to them, peace, peace. If there is no peace, there will be no peace. And for those of you that prophesied peace to them, he said, the day of their judgment, I will give you your portion. As a prophet. It is not the job of a prophet to be declaring it shall be well, it shall be well. Sometimes it's not going to be well. We have this impression in the church today that if you are a real prophet, you always bring comfort to the people. Listen, God brings comfort to those he wants to comfort and brings fear to those he wants to judge. Per adventure, they will fear. He said, they have healed the heart of the daughters of my people slightly by saying peace, peace, where there is no peace. What to you, prophet? What to you, Christian preacher? Who shouts peace when you don't know there will be peace? Who told you that's a matter of compulsion? There must be peace. Hear the word of God. There shall be war. There shall be pestilence. There will be natural disasters. Tsunamis shall arise and wipe another half a million people away. And it shall be from the hand of the Almighty. Why are we afraid to say it? Why are we afraid to say it now? Why? When Thailand, Indonesia, Bandaracha district, those islands were hit in Bangladesh, all those places. With that tsunami in early 2000, I think around 2003, thereabouts, one brother sent me a message. He said, Sir, he said, You said it. I said, I did. I couldn't remember saying it. He said, There was there I was preaching. And I made a statement about Indonesia. <laughs> and I said, These people are begging for divine judgment. A year, year and a half later, the tsunami hit. And it just killed people, you know. In their thousands. At the end of the day, over 250,000 people were dead. He says, sir, you know you warned about this. I said, I couldn't even remember saying it. But I said it again today. It was not the devil. Listen, I know I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness now. Not strictly one. Few of us say this. But I'm happy I'm in good company of men who went into the counsel of God and they saw what God wanted to do. I will say to you again, God judges the earth. God judges the earth. And what to the church that will not stand and warn the world about it? Because God brings forth his judgment against his own people. If they don't do what he commanded them to do. God says, arise my people. Don't be ashamed of my judging arm. It is a real one. David said, guard your sword upon your thigh. Almost mighty. And ride on prosperously because of truth. He said, let your right hand do awesome things. Read your scriptures. Those swords, they are not swords of peace. 
when God wants to ride because of truth, he will slay men in their thousands. He will slay men, women, and children. And it's the wrong doctrine for anybody to rise up and say it is the devil. God says, my glory I will give to no other. I told my wife, I don't want to be a popular preacher. Elihu said, I won't flatter anybody with my mouth. Because if I do, my maker will soon take me away. Let me explain to the church. Listen, God said, I have given you the voice. I have given you the platform. Your duty now is to preach the truth. You don't have to be popular. Yes, they will shut you off. When you start talking, they will switch off the channel. But it is better that men switch off the channel so I can save the few who will listen and be saved than for you to shout peace when there is no peace. Then I sweep everybody away and you with them. You can build large congregations. The Lord says, I will shut them down. If I don't hear the prophetic word coming from the heart of my people for the world to hear, that they are damned. They are going to hell. Jesus died so that they might be saved. Why do you present Jesus as a hungry bachelor? No. We have cheapened his sacrifice. We have. Like one man I was reading said, he said, you see, when you don't speak about the judgment, people don't understand the value of the sacrifice. Like I said here the other day, how do you preach pardon to a man that does not know he's condemned? He's going to laugh at you. He's going to laugh, he's going to laugh, at, laugh at you. Talking to a craftsman earlier today, and he said something to me. He said, it's not money I want for my work. It's what I want is appreciation. He wasn't talking about, hey, appreciate me, I'm important. He said, but if, you don't, if I spend time to carve something for you, and then you hide it, he said, no matter how much you pay me for it, I'm not happy. He said, you don't understand how much effort I put into that stuff. I know what I've done to the blood of Jesus. That is why it's a joke now. Everything the blood of Jesus. The blood of Jesus. Everything blood of because we don't understand what he did. We don't understand what he did. If you were supposed to be executed because you committed a crime, they said it's a treasonable offense, whatever it is. Say so you shall be, you shall, you shall hang by your neck until you are dead. Then the day vehicle arrives to take you out of the condemned person's cell, the man comes down from the vehicle and gives you a piece of paper. Said that's your pardon. You can go home. You are not being executed anymore. Let us assume he gives you the pen with which the governor or the president signed that pardon. Let me ask you, are you ever going to throw that pen away? You will encase it, seal it. If you ever seen an American president sign things, maybe he wants to sign a law that makes healthcare universal in the United States. Normally, you and I sign like, you know, our signature, no matter how long and convoluted it is, in 10 seconds, you are done. My own signature, I do it in three seconds. The one I use at work is half a second. I've drawn the thing. But the American president, they will line up seven pens for him. He will sign the first one, drop it, sign with the next one. He will use seven pens to sign a short signature. He wants to just write, maybe, Donald Trump. You write D-O, drop the pen. Write N-A-L, drop the pen. Write D, drop it. 
Trump, he will write, he will use seven, eight pens to sign one signature, one legislation. Do you know why? They have to share the pens. Somebody has to go home and say, this was the pen that was used to sign this decree. <laughs> so they sign like, they use like eight so that they can have eight copies because they don't want only one. Yes, they give it out to people. Assuming a young man was shot and then a law was written because of that, they can package one and send to his father that your son's death was not in vain. Because of his death, we have a new law in the United States. This is a pen that was used to sign that law. Do I need to tell you, 200 years later, those who will give it down to their children, you know, you have a grand-uncle. He dies so and so and so day. Because of the events around it, a new law was crafted in this country. And the law is named after him and the police officer that caught the person that killed him. And this is the pen that was used to sign a part of that signature. 200 years later, they will still be telling the story. Why? They value it. Is that value I'm talking about? But we have a situation in which people they don't know what they are saved from. So they give the pen to their children to write like the ink will finish. They will shake it, shake it, throw it in the dustbin. Because they were not in distress. They don't understand the value. So the blood of Jesus doesn't mean much to them because we never told them they were going to hell. We never told them that the reason why Ebola has not come back into this nation is because of the blood of Jesus. We haven't told them that you have seen trouble, but you have not seen so much because that blood said thus far and no further. We never told them that that blood is the reason why you can pray and that trouble can be pushed back and we have a hope for peace. We didn't tell them. We are sharing rice for them. We are sharing them ururu. We are sharing for them bread. Fish. That's what we are doing. And we are a relevant church. Yeah, we want relevance. We, men of God, we have... One man did something the other day. My friend said, this guy has gone insane. We, men of God, are going insane. We are going insane. We buy Ankara for people. We put it on television. Man of God shed 5,000 Ankara. It's insanity. Any man of God that does not do it, we start insulting him. What are they doing for the poor? It's time for, we'll be collecting tithe all this while. Time to give back to those who are giving the tithe. Some of the men, people like to insult. I know them. Know their works. They will never broadcast it on television. All those people that are giving man of God, giving rice to the poor, right now, he's giving like a side to the poor. You've seen all of them. They don't give one-fiftieth, one-fiftieth of what some of these men do. But they fear Jesus, so they will never put a TV camera. That is, a, that is the way Pharisees give. You know, we behave as if we don't read the Bible anymore. Direct instructions. We do as if they didn't say it. Sometimes I look at pastor and say, look, don't let the... Look, listen. <laughs> one day, I looked at one, one preacher in Nigeria. My wife can testify, I shook my head. I said, these people, they have ruined this person. When I say people, I mean the world. You turn a, a, a pastor to, you know, a fashion statement. You know, glitterati. Splash his pictures everywhere. 
Everything. What is he driving now? What is he wearing now? Where did he spend the holiday? I told my wife, these people, they are, then the man dropped dead one day. I said, shit, they have killed him. I know they are, they are called the wall. They are supposed to kill you. That's what they do. When the fellow died, I told my wife, did I not tell you? Was that not what I have been warning about? I didn't know he was going to die. But I just said, this, was this not what we were saying? When you let the world give you direction, you, you let them give you direction. That's what happens. You don't have to be popular. Church, listen to this. You don't have to be popular. Let them insult you from now to tomorrow. Let them. If you must give, give. Do like Jesus said in secret. Pastor, don't go there. You are the head of the church. Don't Send your people. They, they don't need to brand themselves. But the church of Jesus Christ of Nigeria, COVID-19 special. Are you getting my point? It's not necessary. If you want to give to the poor, just give to the poor and walk away. Tell them, the Lord sent his gift to you through his children. Magnify him alone. Don't forget to pray for them. They need prayer more than food. Yeah. Where they won't let you pray. Send the food through unbelievers. Listen, it's not that... You, you, listen. I'm not saying this, you know, to make my wife look good. But my wife did something I've seen her doing before. She had a quarrel with somebody. The person did her bad. A woman. Let's make a long story short. Not just physical bad now, like, like it was no fight, but you know, the fraud, her money, things like that. So she was angry legitimately. Then one day she sat and saw the person across and told her friends with her, this woman is hungry. He said, but I'm not talking to her because I'm angry. <laughs> so he gave her friend money. He said, don't tell her I gave it to you. Just go to her and say, ah, I'm concerned about you. Please take this money and buy something. And she instructed her, don't tell her I gave you the money. I don't know whether I get the point. She's owing her money. Defrauded her, took her money. But she sat one day and looked at her from a distance. Said, this lady is suffering. But I'm not trying to buy her favor. I don't want her to get the impression that what she did is not bad. What she did to me is bad. But I can't stand and watch her suffer like this. She told her friend beside her, just said, count her some money, give to her. Please, give that woman for me, but don't tell her. Just do as if you are the one that gave it. My satisfaction is that she will eat. But me, I'm angry. <laughs> so we are not going there. To, you know, the problem is that we, are, we have to get something out of everything. So we want to go and give money, we brandish it. You know? Unduka Ministries. You know? <laughs> we wear... We wear this shirt. I know that our small, small boys will be going up and down. We are from Unduka Ministries. We are giving out bread. And Jesus is looking at all the confused people like this. The primary assignment of the church is prophetic. That is my preaching. The primary assignment is prophetic. The church needs to rise up and tell the world the truth. You know, I don't want to start teaching that now. Time will allow me. But I'll drop a few things about it. Let me tell you the truth. You know, we read it last time. God said, <laughs> these people said, said they want to gather. So they've, they've collected Lagos Business School, Harvard Business School, with Goldman Sachs, consultants, 
Accenture, um, World Bank, Consultants, IMF, they've gathered, selected the cream de la cream of the young men and women to build the Nigeria of tomorrow. They say, you see, America is developed because of planning. God is looking at everybody. And church, I'm talking to you. I'm not talking to the world. I'm talking to you. See, as a church, you have to believe. When I say believe, believe the scriptures. Believe the word of God. Don't deceive yourself. You have to get, he said, by faith we understand. That is, without faith, we have no understanding. By faith we understand that the words, let me tell you the meaning of the word words. It wasn't just talking about the earth, Pluto, Mars, Neptune. No. The words, the system each time. You know, Western civilization, Islamic civilization, French Revolution, the hold of communism, Red China, under development in places like Africa. It's called, each one is called what? World. He said, by faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God. So that what we see did not come out of things that were visible. So if God wants to grant deliverance to women worldwide, it will not be because of Beijing conference. I hope you are getting my point here. Even though it might look like it will not be. The things that we see did not come out of the things that are visible. The words actually are framed by the word of God. That is why Daniel can tell you for millennia, that is for centuries after, what will happen. And for millennia after. He will say to you, Nebuchadnezzar will have a dream. And God will tell him, listen, your kingdom is the head of gold. After you, the Medes and the Persians will come. They are the chest of silver. After you, you will see this tie of bronze. That will be the, uh, what do you call it now? The Greeks. Then the legs of iron will be the Romans. And you will see it like that, one after the other. And you think that this kingdom will not be as glorious as this one, but it will be stronger. So you will find that this one is made of iron. They will conquer everywhere. I heard a story that when Alexander the Great approached Jerusalem, they showed him the prophecy of Daniel. That the king will arise, I think, from the north or the south. And they showed him what he said the king would do. That the man was so impressed, he left the city. Great warrior, that 33-year-old man was. Can we use the word boy? He was young. He's, you've heard of Philippi. Named after his father, Philip. Conquered everywhere in sight. Once I heard David Paulson analyze the prophecy against Tyre. That when God said, look, he will level the place to become a place where people hang their nets, develop city. Alexander the Great approached and the people, they used to run off. They had a small island. They were running their boats to that island so that and most de- those days, most militaries, you know, most nations did not have a navy. Alexander the Great had a great infantry, great marching soldiers. All those things. But he did not have a navy. So once people run in their boats to a remote island, there's nothing they can do. Somebody just pointed out to him that the water is not too deep on this side. They can build a ramp to get to where those people are. 
So the only problem we have is what? Materials. So Alexander looked and said, you need materials? Pull down the city. You hear what I said? That let's build a causeway between here and the island that they are hiding over there. Maybe about three miles away. Five kilometers away. No materials. Is that what the problem is? We can feel that. They said yes. He said no problem. Pull down the city. So they started removing every building in the city to build a wrong way. <laughs> to fulfill the word of God that was spoken centuries earlier. So if you think Alexander the Great was a great soldier, God said, no, I spoke my words ahead. And those my words happened to them. The word became flesh and dwelt amongst men. And what was going to manifest? It entered into a young man called Alexander. That is, his victory was not humanly decided. That's the point I'm making. By faith, we understand that the words were framed by the word of God. So, I said, church, believe. Church leaders, believe. Believe. Stop talking nonsense. Believe. You can't hide your children abroad. Believe. You can't import anything from America or from Europe. Believe. Understand that why nations are built is because of the word of God. That's how they are built. Believe. And preach accordingly. Stop wasting your energy trying to teach politics and economics. Because God said, let them gather. I will scatter. That people who are not blessed cannot successfully build. I will scatter it. If I have not poured the blessing upon you, start building. You will be frustrated. Once I saw, an East, I think, an East African man analyzing the problems of Africans. <laughs> and I felt like I said, well, okay, you're not a Christian, a preacher, so you're allowed to get confused. He analyzed the problem. How Western civilization underdeveloped Africa deliberately. I don't believe in that. I don't believe in that. I don't believe in that. Okay? But that's what he explained. He showed one thing after the other. So I was waiting for him. Where's the solution? He said, the solution now is Africa needs to discover itself. I burst into laughter. You know, when you've spoken and spoken and spoken, you are confounded. Vanity upon vanity. All is vanity. To the making of books, there is no end. You have spoken and spoken. You don't even know where you are going anymore. So Africa now needs to discover itself. I just said this guy, there's no need to analyze this order. You don't know what you're saying. He said you looked for much. It came to little. The little you brought, you brought it home and put it into pockets that have holes. It's not like you are stupid. It's not like you don't know how to plan. But you do not have a blessing that is sustaining your effort. Christians, believe it. Preachers, believe it. Tell the people, no matter how much you labor, no matter how much you plan, he said, all flesh is grass, and the goodliness thereof are like the, oh, it's like the flowers of the field. The grass with us, the flower fades. Now listen to this. When the breath of God blows upon it. This little coronavirus has shown us that if God wants to blow against any nation, he can. Has he not shown it to us? Great countries are getting confounded. They are, every day. And God said, I have not even blown seriously. I have not blown seriously. Because 
Listen, they are easy lockdown now. Let me give you. Anyway, many of you, I hope you've been following what's going on in the world. Because it's happening already. BA has laid off tens of thousands of staff. Virgin has done the same. Virgin offered the airline for sale. Berkshire Hathaway. So that's like, what does this man name keep escaping me? Berkshire Hathaway, the sage of Omaha. Warren Buffett sold every bit of investment his company had in airlines. He said they will not recover in a long time. You know, things are bad. That's why people say, listen, you need to release the economy. Release the economy. Many people end only on a daily basis. Many companies have told their staff, please go home. And let me tell you, in the place like the United States, you go home, no health insurance. Now, I'm going to throw something. This is a virus that they said kills less than 1%. If we, if we to test everybody, we'll see that it really kills less than 1%. So God said, if I want to blow, I will increase the death rate to 10%. If I increase to death 10%, nobody will say is lockdown. Nobody will say is lockdown. They only say is lockdown because I capped it at less than 1%. I made sure, because it's just a blowing, a gentle one, that it doesn't take, it has not, it has not killed anybody less than 18 years of age. Death rates in people less than 20 is almost zero. Almost non-symptomatic in almost all of them. Because they have kept it down. Listen, it's not a rule that it must be like that. Spanish flu of a hundred years ago was killing mostly people in their 30s. What I'm going to say is that if God says, God says if I want to blow, if I want to blow hard, hmm? when the breath of God blows upon it, you have all seen that it is not hard for me to blow upon any nation. It's not hard. It's not an effort. And when God really wants to blow, it's a triple blowing. When he really wants to blow, it's triple. When he's serious about blowing, it's triple. It's always pestilence, war, and famine. That's how he blows when he wants to blow. To let you know that there is no strength in man. It is the Lord thy God that giveth thee the power to create wealth. I'm not explaining some that Christians, pastors, believe this. Stop talking nonsense when you want to preach. Stop worshipping men. Like the American can keep you. Like the Europeans can sustain your destiny. They can't. Why do you regard man whose breath is in his nostrils? Preach to the people only in the Lord are righteousness and strength. That is the job of the church. Instead of trying to help Nigeria to develop by organizing political programs for them. Preach to them. There is a curse upon the land. Don't lie. But don't waste your energy on how the curse came. Because there are two main origins. But there's no need. Who's saying that this one should be born blind? Say, dude, Jesus, why are you wasting your energy? I must walk the walk of him that sent me while it is day. Bring forth the power of God into the environment. When the power of God, you see, we did not sustain it for long. We did not. When it first came, he did the normal thing. He did physical miracles. If you sustain it, you will see what Jesus said. The blind see, the lame walk, the dead are raised. He said, then the gospel, the poor have what? The gospel preached to them. Over time, it will have produced real prosperity. 
But the first whiff of prosperity we saw, we went insane. Like I preached last time, that the Lord is saying, get back, do the work you did at first. Don't get carried away with economic discussions, political discussions, you know, discussion on, on the, you know, how to, how, how, how to move the country forward. No. Preach the gospel. The gospel does not make sense. That's why it's called foolishness to the people that don't believe. You will say to a nation, how do we move forward? You will say, they, they will say to you, from, representing from a nation, how do we move forward? You say, believe on him who the Lord has sent. They say, what are you talking about? How do we move forward? Let us pray. How do we move forward? The Lord said there is a spirit of anger in the air. Let us bow before him and repent and forgive. Even Christians will tell you, you don't know what you are saying. They will tell you that, listen, what you need now is to tell the nations how to arrange. You know, when we talk, I said, you don't know you are dealing with people. This is our country. All of us remember <laughs> when Venerable Professor Chinedu Nebo became Minister for Power. I remember that his confirmation. He said he's going to cast out the demon in the power sector. He's a man of God. I trust in his anointing. He's a true child of God. He got there. The demons told him, man of God, we don't have any problem with you. Jesus we know. Paul we know. You self we know. But the people that we are living inside, they say we can stay. So you have to go and cast them out first. We are not your trouble. The people that you want to give power, are they deserving of power? Have you been able to bring forth the mercy of God upon their households so that power will go there? You want to cast us out. Okay, we are going. So the demons packed and went and waited outside the gate. He said, Prof is walking. Then Prof will walk, walk, walk. When his tenure was over, he said, it is as if people have made up their minds things will not work in this country. Sorry, sir, if I listen to this. I burst into laughter. I said, that is what we are talking about. Except the people are revived, your effort will come to nothing. You want to end corruption? You think President Buhari can do it? He can't. Why? His man, his breath is where? In his nostrils. I've said it again and again. The only person that has the solution to corruption in Nigeria is the Church of God. They need to come to their own pulpits, and this is a prophetic word. Because God said, before I start closing them down, they have to do this if they want to remain open. They have to come to their pulpits and preach against stealing of money. Preach it, not to the world. Like I said, your job to the world is not that. It's amongst yourselves now. Your job to tell yourself, brethren, don't steal. If somebody brings an offering of 500 million naira, tell him to sit down. Where did you get it? You left university three years ago. What have you been doing? 500 million naira. Let me see. If there's a blessing of God, we say we know. Which channel did he pass through? If he can't explain it, tell him. Now, listen to what I want to say. Those of you who don't like preaching judgment, switch off. But this is the truth. Tell him, your money perish with you. It is not a curse. This was exactly, when I say not a curse now, it is not something that's only for unbelievers. This was exactly what Peter said to the man, Simon, who had believed. Simon also believed. Then he offered money to Peter that they should take and give him the anointing. And the man said, look at this fellow that's in the gall of bitterness. He said, your money perish with you. Tell the young man, your 500 million should perish with you. 
you come back to this church without repenting of your evil ways, you will die like Ananias and Sapphira. You can go and be arguing whether they are believers or not, whether, they, whether it's eternal security. You know, this lie they've taught, taught to young people now. Instead of them to be led, you know, let me digress again. Actually, the word I thought I brought today, I have not reached it to. Because I wanted, what I actually thought the Lord wanted me to preach today, we haven't reached there. If he allows me, we'll come back to it next time. Because the school of prophecy, that's where we are in. Because I prayed, I thought what he gave to me to see. That's when I want to just drop a bit of it briefly. Because one of the things I believe the Lord wants the church to do is that, look, every wrong doctrine you practice is robbing you of your reward. And young, young boys that are now following this hyper grace, once you give your life to Christ, even like, if you like, curse God. If you like, crucify Jesus again. If you like, deny him, your salvation is intact. Listen, your destiny is what they are destroying for you with wrong doctrine. If you like, believe it. I see you in 15 years' time. If you like, believe it. In 10 years' time, we'll talk about it again. Half of you that believe it by that time, you will be thoroughly backslidden. The other half, anyway, the other half, half will have repented and said that, look, this is not going anywhere. Like one brother said, they died in their church. He gave the name of the church, but I don't want to mention it. It is to tell them that, look, be in the spirit, be in the spirit. You have to be in the spirit. You don't have to be in the flesh. When you're in the spirit, so they encourage, they allowed boys and girls to mingle anyhow. Boys and girls sleep in dark rooms alone. Because they are in the spirit. If you have seen anything inside here, you are the one that's in the flesh. I read this the other day, I don't know whether somewhere, whether it was Facebook or somewhere. I don't do Facebook much, so really, believe you have in Facebook. And I said, maybe someone said to my WhatsApp. He said, the next thing we knew, pastors were impregnating church girls. We knew the doctrine was wrong. So we went and read our Bibles again. Where it says, flee youthful lust. It was like, no, no, let's flee. Boys, let's flee. Let us flee. The proof of the pudding is in the eating. What is the result of that doctrine will sit in the works? Let me just tell you, girls, don't, let boys believe it. You don't believe it, because it's you that will suffer the most. The boys can be believing that there's nothing wrong with it. You girls, please, they are going to experiment with you. You will suffer the most. I wanted to preach on that. Because instead of us to be discussing how these qualities will be yours and increasing, you are saying even if it is gone, have you lost your salvation? I think your head is mad. I don't, there's a lot of insanity going on right now. There, there's, pastors are insane. People following them are insane. You want to discuss with me? Even in my house is dirty. Will I have disease? Then we're having conference on it. If you don't wash your toilet for one year, are you likely to catch disease from there? If you don't vacuum your rug for two years, then you come and be proven to me. The climate of Nigeria does not allow virus. If you like, don't clean your house. If you like, don't wash your plate. Wash in the same plate every day. Eat the same nonsense, the same rotten. Eat from the dustbin. God has given you a strong immunity. You will not die. You know, if I preach that, I want to ask you whether my head is correct. And in case you don't know, pastors who preach like that, the doctrine of grace, they are insane. Because what we should have been discussing is, ah, I enter the house. Beautiful. Clean. How can we make our houses so clean that the Holy Spirit will be willing to dwell there? Not discussing, will I lose my salvation? 
We should be there discussing. How can I speak that my words will be pure like the words of the Lord Jesus Christ? How will it be that I will minister grace alone to the hearers? One man in the Bible, I read his story, Samuel. They say, Samuel, God did not let one of his words fall to the ground. Then Samuel says to you, I will see you at 5 p.m. A tsunami couldn't stop it. When I preach this series, The Habitation of God, go and listen to it. I explain, listen, I'm supposed to see you at 5. At 4, heavy rain starts. Flood everywhere. I can't drive to your house. You know, I have good justification for not coming. Two of us, humanly speaking, I have it. But spiritually, I don't. God says, if your words were powerful, that rain would have waited till 8 p.m. I thought about it, and I said, God, how did a man get to that level? How did he walk until the, the promises he made had to be fulfilled? Nature cooperated to take him there. Then we are here discussing that whether you sin or don't sin, is your salvation intact? Don't you think we are crazy? Peter said these qualities should be yours. And be increasing. We are discussing no matter how low it gets, I will still go to heaven. Who is trying to go to heaven? We are trying to do the will of God on the earth. I hope you are getting my point here. We are trying to bring God into our lives so that we will fulfill everything. Who wants to live like a devil on the earth and get to heaven? What is wrong with you know, manifesting Jesus on this earth? What is wrong with it? Why do I want to get involved in a discussion? Of even if I deny Jesus, do I want to deny Jesus? Why shouldn't they be asking God? Leah Sharibu. She is standing as a witness against those of us who cannot stand by Jesus just to lose a contract. She stood by him and lost her freedom, ready to lose her life. Her, her, her life. We cannot stand by him to lose 400,000 naira. We can't stand by him to lose a job. We can't stand by him just to lose our business. Maybe that's why God kept that girl there is to wake the rest of up or the rest of us up and say, Shame on you. Shame. The young girl is suffering for all of us. You will lie to get a job. You will lie to get a contract. You will deny Jesus for promotion. Leah will stand against you in the day of judgment. That's what I wanted to preach before. Let's get our doctrines right. Let's learn the truth. Let's preach the truth. Let me stop it here. Let's bow down here to pray. I don't know what you are going to pray, but just pray. Just pray. Just pray. Just pray. Just pray. Just pray. Let's respond to that word in prayer. If there are areas we need to um, repent, let's say, Lord, have mercy on me. If you appreciate listening to this, I believe um, the word of God expressly came to you and searching you thoroughly. Let's respond to this message in prayers. Every one of us, you're a businessman, you're a teacher. You're a student. 
Whatever you do, just respond to this word and say, Lord, in the name of Jesus, help me to that to be that Christian that you want to see on this earth. Let my life be an example. Let my life be an example of truth. Let my life be an example of that pure Christian. I don't know how we actually respond to this word when we hear words like this. Maybe we go home the same way um, we came without even thinking of what God expects from us. But let's picture ourselves, you know, before the judgment throne of God. And he's saying to us, go back for I'm giving you one more chance. And he's saying to, saying to us, I'm giving you time to repent. Remember, it's time. It's time. He's giving to us. And he said, between now and this time, let me see changes. Let's ask the Lord in prayer and say, Lord, help me to respond to these words in repentance. Help me to respond to these words in repentance. Oh, pastor said something when he was teaching. You know, sometimes some of us just want to be popular. Let's leave popularity aside and focus on pleasing the Lord and say, Lord, I make a resolve this evening to please you. I know it will cost me. It will cost me money. It's going to cost me relationships. But Lord, I make a resolve. By you empowering me, by you helping me, I make a resolve this evening to please you. In the name of Jesus, I make a resolve. I receive grace to please you. Brethren, pray. Let's pray. Let's ask that the Lord will be, be proud of us as his disciples here on earth. I want to be a true disciple of Jesus, not just in words. That when they see me, they will say, indeed, this one has been with Jesus. That when they see me, they will say, indeed, this one is a true disciple of the Lord. That men will testify. Brethren, pray. Let's again lift the church of God to God and say, Lord, we ask for mercy. We ask for mercy. I don't know if you picture the judgment that is coming upon the church of God. As pastor was teaching, let's ask for mercy upon the church of God. Let's ask for mercy upon the body of Christ upon the you know upon his leaders upon her leaders and say lord we ask for mercy upon your leaders we ask for mercy upon your prophets the ones that are hiding in caves they are the ones hiding in caves i don't know why they are hiding maybe for fear of jezebel they are hiding they are the ones who have left the place of their primary assignment they've gone to look for what they will eat. Let's say, Lord, have mercy on your prophets. Have mercy on your teachers. Have mercy on the evangelists. There are some that have said, let me build a great business. When I'm true, I will come back. Let's say, Lord, have mercy on them. Can you pray? They are the ones who have been marked for destruction, marked for death this week. Let's intercede for them and say, Lord, please show them mercy. Oh, give them time. Show, show the church mercy. In the name of Jesus, brethren, pray. I wish we really had time to pray. But because of the coffee, we had to go. But let's pray one more minute and say, Lord, show your church mercy again. Give us time. Just give us time. You know, David said in Psalm 119, he said, give me, say, Lord, give me time for I will obey your statutes. Lord, it is that time we pray for. It is that time we pray for. Do not judge us in your anger. Do not rebuke us in your anger. Lord, give us time to repent. In the name of Jesus, show your church mercy. Show your church mercy. Show the businessman who is listening to this mercy. In the name of Jesus, as we go back to the field, Lord, let us live an exemplary life. Let us show to the world again that indeed we have, you know, contacted with the Spirit of God. And the Spirit of God is working in us. Lord, that is our prayer. That is our prayer. 
We are not going home the same way we came. We have heard your word and we respond to this word. And we repent. We repent. We repent. Lord, we thank you. We thank you, Lord, for your word again. We thank you. We give you praise forever. For everyone listening, watching this from all over the world, Lord, we thank you for their lives and we ask for the grace to run with this word in the name of Jesus. Again, we thank you, Lord, for Pastor Banky, and we thank you, Lord, for the truth and the spirit of boldness, Lord, that you have given to him. We pray and we lift him up in prayer. May he never be tired of teaching the truth in the name of Jesus. And for every preacher who has been teaching the truth all over the world, we ask the Lord we encourage you. The Lord will lift you up. The Lord will strengthen you. The Lord will back your ministry up with power. In the name of Jesus we have prayed. Amen. Praise the name of the Lord.